the end is near. The end of the world, perhaps, uh, but the end of this series is definitely near because it's today. And we have been talking about spiritual warfare for the last few weeks, and um, you know the definition that we were going by, if you put that up on the screen, is you know, spiritual warfare is the ongoing battle. We talk about how it is a spiritual battle, not with flesh and blood, uh, between God's people and the forces of Satan, wherein God's people stand in the armor of God, and advance God's kingdom through the gospel. And in this series, we've really unpacked that definition, so I'm not going to do it again. And I know for many of you, the end of this series can't come soon enough, right? Because you're tired of all that talk about battling and war. And some of you, though, you're like, yeah, I really resonated with all that war imagery. And because there's two different kinds of people, right? There's the kind of people who, like, you love those romantic comedy movies, right? Just like, oh, I love that peace, love, and smooch cakes, and all of that stuff. And if you're one of those kinds of people, you're probably like, yeah, this, you know, this series, that can get over with pretty soon. But then there's others like the action movies, the war movies, right, like Braveheart. Now, you probably really liked this sermon series. Um, but yes, it is coming to an end. And I really, you know, spiritual warfare, it is a daily personal battle that each one of us has to undergo because we ha one of the enemies that we fight is our own sin, right? And so that's an internal battle. But we also talked about how it's a part of a larger worldwide conflict with Satan and the, the, the fallen nature of this world. And so it's an ongoing conflict bigger than us. And we took a biblical theological approach to spiritual warfare. What does that mean, biblical theological approaches? When you look at all of Scripture and you trace a theme throughout Scripture to see it in its fuller way and also it informs you in things. So that's why we started in Genesis, right? That was our first um, way back when. And we started in Genesis 1 how uh, Satan in the form of the servant tempted right? Adam and Eve. And that was the beginning of spiritual warfare. So as we conclude our series on spiritual warfare, taking a biblical theological approach, guess where we're going to end? Revelation, right? And the, the music really reflected that. Um, Revelation depicts the final battle between good and evil, the, the final battle where we'll end all battles. So there will be a time where there's no longer spiritual warfare. And we're going to look at that. And Revelation really has a lot of war imagery, doesn't it? And Revelation deals with this final battle in a very interesting way. It often refers to previous imagery, and we'll see that. But it does so not just in a way to inform, but in a way that would have really encouraged the Christians who first received that uh, that book in the first century because they were suffering persecution. They were going through a spiritual battle where a, a lot of them were put in jail like Paul and Silas, as Chrissy mentioned, that there was a lot of spiritual warfare going on that really affected them and their freedoms, and their health, and all of that. And that was in the midst of having to battle those personal internal struggles with sin, just like us just like God's people it will have to do at the end of days. And that's why when the writer of Revelation, I believe the Apostle John, wrote it, he did it to provide encouragement 
to provide encouragement, to give them a peek at the end so that they would understand that victory belongs to the Lord. So stay faithful to him, and you'll have victory, even if you're experiencing loss now. That's really one of the main themes of Revelation. So let's start in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 12, and it is a, uh, again, you'll see the, the war imagery here. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, again, that's referring to Genesis, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a vo loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. And then verses 13 through 17 go on to describe how the dragon, you know, Satan's thrown down to earth and he starts attacking this woman and making war with her offspring on the earth. And that, that pictures Satan attacking the people of God because he's no match for God. So he's uh, trying to take out God's people. So is what's described in Revelation 12 going on now, or does this describe the future tribulation right before the end? Yes. Um, it's hard to discern, and it depends on your approach to Revelation as a whole, but the important thing for our purposes is that history is often depicted as a war between God and Satan, God and his adversaries, and then that spills over into the earthly plane. So yes, this battle is spiritual, but it often has ramifications in the earthly realm. And when Satan is cast out, he takes it out on God's people. And this cycle is repeated throughout history. So it starts in the garden, and then we've looked at the different parts of salvation history where the spiritual warfare takes place, and it's cyclical. But Revelation comes to that point and says, but ah, it will end. That yes, the battles that we fight spiritually against sin, Satan, and the forces of, of evil in this fallen world are the same ones that were fought you know, back with King David's day and back with Adam and Eve and will be fought again before the end, um, the time of tribulation. But it will come to an end. The battle will be over. And that's really what Revelation kind of is the... Is, pulling back the curtain and showing us that there will be an end. And in the meantime, we see patterns. God's people can see patterns in that warfare. And what do we see? First thing, that Satan does have power on the earth. Right? He's cast down. He's got power and influence on the earth. But in the heavenly realm, he just constantly loses. Right? So, so any victory for Satan on this earth is temporary. And that should be an encouragement because when heaven comes to earth at the end of time, then Satan's kicked out of earth too. And so any kind of uh, victory he has is temporary. And the other thing we notice from this scripture, and these are related, is that Satan is no match for God. 
See, in Christianity, that's not, there's no yin and yang, right, where in like Taoism you have, you know, balance of good and evil, and that's a good thing. No, in Christianity, Satan is no match. There's no dualism, no match for Satan. And in fact, when this battle goes down, not only is Satan cast out of heaven very easily, it's not even God who does it, but Michael, the archangel, just casts him out of heaven. Again, that's important to remember so that you do not fear. So that when you're in a spiritual battle or, or you really feel like Satan's coming against, then you don't fear that because you know that if you are in Christ, then, then you have that victory, that power because of Christ's victory. And that goes to the third point is that even though Satan does have power on the earth, even though he does attack people, the people of God, the people of God will still conquer Satan. So just like Michael easily defeated Satan because he's with God, we too can conquer Satan because we're with God. Look at verse 11. It says, and the, the people, right, they have conquered him. Who's they? That's the people of God have conquered Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So how do we conquer Satan? Not, not by our ninja skills, although I know you, some of you have significant ninja skills. I know that's true. Um, that's not how we defeat. That's not how we conquer Satan. How do we conquer him? By the blood of the lamb. By virtue of being in Christ. His victory is our victory. And that testimony, the word of our testimony, the testimony that Christ has won the victory, that he is worthy of all things, that is the gospel testimony that then God's kingdom advances. We, we did a whole sermon on that, right? God's kingdom advances through the gospel, through the testimony of who Christ is and what he's done. And then the final thing I think that we see in this scripture is, and it's implied, especially clear in other places in Revelation, is that even when God's people die they're, or they're killed, because of Satan's violence, they're still victorious, right? It says, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So death on earth is going into God's presence in heaven. And that way, Christ's victory on the cross is our victory. So we're in the Lent season where we look forward to Holy Week, right? And we celebrate that Christ died for our sins and then he rose again and is seated at the right hand of God. And that is a paradigm so that if we're in Christ, then when we die, we rise again to the God's very presence. We talked about last week, even Satan's victories on earth. Again, oh, I took, uh, you know, that person got killed, that person got martyred, is actually a defeat. And last week we talked about that. So whenever we're battling in the spiritual battle, whether it's the first century church who received the book of Revelation, um, the seven churches of Revelation, or now, or at the end time tribulation, we are told of God's constant victories over Satan, over sin, over the fallen ways of the world, so that when we are in a particular battle ourselves, we don't give up. We don't forfeit God's victory. We persevere because we know the end. That's why he's told us these things. 
You know, I think a, an illustration is, you know, there's no Holyoke Road Race this year, no parade, no Holyoke Road Race. It's kind of bummed because I, I was really going to run it this year, really. Um, but, you know, runners, even if they've never ran that race, what they like to do is they like to be familiar with the course. So at the very least, drive around that 10 kilometers, right? So they get a good idea, the good lay of the land, a good idea of where's the finish line. And if possible, they try to run the race beforehand for practice. Why? Well, because there's times in the race that get difficult, especially when you're like at mile five or something and you're getting really tired, and, but you know, oh, you know, I see this landmark. This, the race only got a mile left. I can do this. And you press on and you persevere. So too has God revealed the end to us so that we would persevere. So that we would, when we're tired, when, you know, maybe this pandemic has really gotten you so isolated and discouraged and you feel like quitting the race. Knowing the end can give you that perseverance, that Christ has won the victory. And it's not just knowing the end as in that's interesting information. The thing about Christ's victory is it's not just information, but it's for us so that his victory can bleed back into our lives. And we can have a power beyond ourselves. It's to give us that strength that we need when, again, we're sweating and we're toiling and we're saying, I don't think I can finish this race. Well, the good news is Christ has already finished it for you. So grab on to him. Grab on to him, and he will carry you across that finish line. Now, Revelation 12, the, the timing's not so sure. It's like, all right, is it about the end? Is it about now? Not so sure. But Revelation chapter 20, pretty much scholars are all agreed. Yeah, that is about the final battle. When after a time, Satan is let loose once more to do what Satan does for one final battle. And then all spiritual warfare will come to an end when God finishes it. And so let's look at Revelation 20, verse 7. It says, and when the thousand years are ended, so this is after the millennium, uh, Satan will be released from his prison. And he will come out to deceive the nations that are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So here's the final battle. Satan is at it, doing what Satan does, deceiving the nations, causing people to, to rise up against God. And it seems like everyone in the world has joined Satan's forces, the, like the sands of the sea. And what John does here is he borrows those terms, Gog and Magog. You may, who like, where's that? Where's Gog and Magog? These are two nations that represent all evil nations that come against God. He takes it from actually Ezekiel chapter 39. If you want to know more about that, then tune into the Ezekiel study on Wednesdays. We're not yet at uh, chapter 39, but we'll get there. Um, so he borrows that imagery where in the book of Ezekiel it talks about a, a final reckoning with God. And, and then it, it looks like, oh, this is bad. This is a battle royale. God's people must be in trouble in, in the face of these, this evil horde. In verse 9, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And it, to me, I picture, because I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd, the battle of Helm's Deep when all the orcs and evil are, are surrounding the good people. And it doesn't look good. But then what does it say? But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. 
And, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. That was quick. I mean, really, it just, like, it, 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 it builds up, and there's all of this stuff, and then God just wipes them out and, and casts Satan into hell. Now, Satan has a lot of, of power compared to people. He's a liar, he's an accuser, he's a deceiver. But again, he's no match for God. We saw that in chapter 12. So when God has decreed that it's time for Satan and all evil to fully and finally be done away with, the ancient battle, it just it ends in an instant, right? And those enemies, therefore, that we battle, yes, Satan, but our own sin, the worldly systems, death, injustice, all of those things that are contrary to God, they are cast into hell. And creation is restored to its state of goodness and holiness. And this final reckoning is referred to as the great white throne judgment. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what a picture. God himself descends, and, and his glory is so overwhelming, it says the earth and sky just kind of give way, right? Make way because here's the creator. And everything that's unjust, everything that's contrary to God is thrown out. So that all that remains is that which is good and holy and according to God's will. So even death, did you see that? Even death is thrown into the lake of fire. So there's no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more spiritual warfare. Because all of God's enemies have been cast out forever. And God's glorious presence fills the earth as the water fills the sea. And then there's restoration in, in chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. Talk about the new heavens and the new earth coming, the new Jerusalem. And again, God's presence filling the whole earth. But if you're observant, one of the repeated lines here should give you a little bit of pause. And that's, people were judged according to what they had done. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, logically, that makes sense, right? God is getting rid of all things contrary to his will. Like, that's the final victory. That's what it's all about. So if there's anything that's done against him, it's got to be cast out. That makes sense. But uh-oh. Uh-oh. I mean, have, have you ever done anything against God? I know I have. And, and then I think, well, what if from today on, you know, I, I live perfectly? Well, one is that's not going to happen because no matter how I try, I'm a fallen human, fallible human being. But let's just say even if I could, well, it's kind of too late. It's kind of too late. I've already done so much against God. So how do we participate in God's victory over Satan then? Because that's the promise. That's what we've been singing about. 
How do we participate in that when God is going to throw out all that is against him? Well, what did Revelation chapter 12, 11 say? They have conquered him. They've conquered Satan, sin, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives even unto death. See, we don't conquer, we don't get to be a part of Christ's victory based on our own might, our own goodness. We've all done something wrong. Rather, we enjoy God's victory by the blood of the Lamb that's already taken away our sins. By the blood of Jesus, our sins have already been judged and paid for. You see, that's what, as we look forward to Good Friday, why do we call it Good Friday? Wait, our Savior died. He hung on a cross. Well, it's good because on the cross, that is where our sins were judged. God judged our sins. He poured his wrath upon our sins on the cross. So when we stand before God, our sins have already been judged, right? And judged and taken away by Christ. That's what it means that we conquer by the blood of the lamb. So that when we stand before God, we're counted among his children. We're, we're judged by Christ's work and not our own. So that when we stand before God at that white throne judgment and he sees us, if we're in Christ, then again, he judges according to Christ's work and not our own. Our sins have already been judged. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, we conquer by the blood of the Lamb. And, you know, many people throughout the ages have, have died, right? Many Christians have died. And yet the victory that Christ won on the cross, that victory, that full and final victory that will be proclaimed at the end of time, that invaded their lives so that even as they lived day to day, even as we live day to day, that pattern of victory still remains, that God's power brings victory. And, it, and the key is to stand firm in him and what he supplies. So our victory is found in his victory. So we don't move. We don't move God to fit into our work, our plan. No, we move ourselves into him so that when we're, we're in Christ, we are in Christ. So that again, when God sees us, he sees Christ. So God's done all the work. And his victory is sure. So grab on to Christ's victory. Don't let go. No matter what Satan throws at you, no matter what this fallen world throws at you, and it can throw a lot of stuff at us. It can throw death. Many of you may be mourning the loss of a loved one today or throw a pandemic at you. Pain, financial hardships, relational difficulties, persecution, even throwing your past sins and mistakes out at you. Cling to Christ, knowing that he has won the victory all over those things. That's why God has shown you he has won the victory. But again, God's victory, Christ's victory, is not just for the end. So it's not just like, wow, that's good information for when the end comes. Uh, no, we live in between the times. We live in between that full and final victory and establishment of, of God's kingdom over all the earth, and Christ's death on the cross. And that final victory is meant to bleed and to come into our lives in our battles today. Because 
as we said, spiritual warfare is not just about the big battle or the battle at the end of time. It's about our battle today. But those two things inform one another. So spiritual warfare, yes, it will end. But while we're in it, it means applying Christ's victory into your life, into your decisions now. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like daily applying Christ's victory. So just give me a couple, I'll give you a couple examples. One is Andrew. Andrew grew up on the uh, streets of Monrovia, Liberia. He was involved in lots of petty crime. He was directionless. And everyone kind of thought that, well, that kid, he's going nowhere, except, you know, maybe a quick death. But when I met him a couple years ago, Jesus had entered his life and gave him purpose, and now he is helping other kids from the street to turn their life around through the power of Christ. See, that's victory. That's victory there. Or what about Bob? Let me tell you about Bob. That's not his real name. Um, Bob had tried to quit his drug addiction dozens and dozens of times. But when he turned to Christ and received his power and received Christ's victory in his life, he began to make those countless decisions to choose Christ over the other things that were trying to enslave him. And that's victory. That's victory. Now, that's the beginning of his, the stories of Andrew and Bob, and, and you kind of know where they are now. But in the middle... Those were countless daily decisions, daily battles with temptations, with spiritual attacks, but them saying, no, I'm going to choose Christ. That's how that victory comes into our life. Because this epic spiritual battle that we read about in Revelation, that yes, it will end, all warfare will end, but what it looks like in our day-to-day life is we get up and we conquer today. We just conquer today. Yes, Christ has won the victory over all time and space, but for us, we just need to conquer today. Today, through Christ, as a reflection of his victory. And so, as we're going into different decisions and all of that, we ask ourselves, does this reflect Christ's victory or not? Because if it reflects Christ's victory, then I'm going to step into that. But if it doesn't, if it reflects sin or Satan and the fallen systems of the world, then I don't, I don't want that. That's a daily decision. Uh, or does this, whatever it is, does this tighten my grip on Christ so I'm not letting him go? Or does it loosen my grip? So like what Chrissy had mentioned earlier, and I was like, oh, I should have done a sermon on that. But she spoke about it. She, she, she fills the gaps about, you know, Does praising God and singing, even when we're in prison, even when we're down, does this tighten my grip? Does this allow, does this tighten my grip on on Christ's victory in my life? Yes, it does. So that therefore I'm gonna step into that. See, there's like you can apply this in so many ways because again, we have to just conquer today, but conquering today is a lot easier knowing that eternity's been conquered. And we just want that power beyond ourselves, that victory beyond our situations to bleed back into our lives today. And that's the promise. And that is what God has allowed. That's why he showed us the end. So that we would say, yes, Christ, you've already won me the victory. So this today, 
is going to reflect that victory. And there were so many other things we talked about. We talked about the seven scriptures to sharpen our swords so that when Satan comes at us with, with lies, we can, you know, counteract all of those lies. So when we feel like, for instance, God's not near us, we remember Psalm 145, 18, God is near to all those who call upon him, all who call upon him in truth, so that when we feel alone, we say, no, I'm counting on God's promises. He is near, and, and we pray that way. So we talked about a lot of specific things that we can do in the spiritual battle. Chrissy brought up today again, praising God, prayer, putting on the armor of God. All of that's true. And you can review all those sermons online. But the truth that will help us today, the truth that I really want us to put in, get into our heads, is knowing the end, that Christ is victorious. Christ is victorious. Even, again, when Satan is ravaging the earth, when you're dealing with sickness, death, war, pandemic, you have a power, you have a victory beyond yourself. You have a power. You have a victory beyond your circumstances. And so know that the race ends in unspeakable joy and beauty. That spiritual warfare, the warfare that's getting you, it will end one day. Cling to that promise. Cling to Christ. Step into the victory that he has won for you because we conquer. We have conquered. Again, by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so grateful that you have won the victory. Jesus, it is by your blood that we can conquer any spiritual enemy that comes our way. And God, you know each struggle that every person here is going through. Lord, read our hearts. You know what we need before we even ask it. So, Lord, as we step into the battle and some are battling illness, some are battling financial issues, loneliness, depression, Lord, you know our battles. You know how Satan has come against us. You know how Satan has come against our church. And so right now, Lord, we praise and thank you that you have won the victory. And we ask, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, the decisions today that we have to make. Show us how, Lord, we can make the decision that will allow your victory to, to, to flourish and flow in us. Lord, right now, speaking to our minds, speaking to our hearts, do what only you can do. And Lord, we thank you that when we, no matter what we're going through, when we have placed our faith in the blood of the Lamb, Lord, that we will go marching in, that we will come marching in to your glory, Thank you for that promise. Thank you for that victory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.